So welcome to our leadership series on the sofa with Angie. Today's special guest is Sarah Steele, who is the product design manager at Mesmerize. And she's also a technology com- consultant for our own company called Apex Neuro. So, uh, so Sarah, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm really excited for our talk on neurodiversity. So welcome. Thank you very much. I'm really looking forward to it. So neurodiversity is, is a term um, that's certainly relatively new in business, and I think it's often misunderstood. Could you share a little bit more about what neurodiversity means? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's, it's a double-edged sword with this concept because it's gained so much traction and awareness, and it is moving in the right direction. Even in the last couple of years, we've seen a lot of you know the really pioneering and the biggest companies make such an active effort to not only to understand these things but to make sure that they really are advocating for people who essentially are wired differently um but this comes with sort of a a bit of a problem in some respect because we've categorized neurodiversity with this umbrella term most of the time what people are referring to they're referring to autism that's the most well-known and secondary to that is ADHD. So what I've noticed, so I'm, I have ADHD, I was diagnosed about a year and a half ago. Um, I'm also very familiar with autism just through my family and through my neuroscience research. So there's a really clear differentiator between those two, not so much conditions, but how they present in people. So what's happening at the moment is we're having this like diversity and inclusion, neurodiversity strategies and almost going to the point now where people are recognizing the strengths of being neurodiverse and thinking differently. But there's not enough understanding of how different something like if you put on paper ADHD versus autism, they're incredibly different biologically in the brain and also very different from male to female. So it's a really important thing for people to start to discuss and for kind of the medical understanding to start to become more layman and start to um, help enterprises to understand actually we need clear specifications about how different neurodiversity can be in different situations. Thank you and you know so so we refer to people uh, who who don't have any conditions as neurotypical and it's often neurotypical people who are making decisions um, for to sort of neurodiverse audience. What uh, advice would you give to people um, you know whether they're looking at their diversity and inclusion strategy or whether it's hiring managers um, what advice would you give to them in in sort of uh, driving neurodiversity in the workforce mm, it's a really really good point because even though as I said before like it is starting to get traction and um, it's now even to the point where it's it's no longer kind of disclosing on your CV it's it's well talked about but as you say, it's these strategies are often created and delivered by neurotypical people, which I dove very deep into the research, very deep into kind of understanding what was going on for me, what it meant to be ADHD, how to align the dots of my life until this point. And the only resources I really ever found that were actually of any benefit were ones that were created by people either with ADHD or a different wiring. Um, and I think that could be a turnkey in making diversity and inclusion strategies so much stronger and just 
making the experience of being neurodiverse not even have to be thought about in a way um, would be to actually have people who are neurodiverse on the larger scale influence strategies on the whole, but also within companies have neurodiverse people be given an opportunity to talk about what would help them. And it might be just on an individual basis, for example, with ADHD, it's kind of mistermed. So it stands for attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. What that implies is that someone with ADHD has not enough energy, uh, not enough attention. And actually the case is that you have a surplus of attention. So even that like slight error in how it's named, if you don't understand that, you might think someone with ADHD, you know, they can't focus, they can't concentrate, they're really distractible, which can be the case. In my case, that's not my experience at all. My, my attention, I take in a lot of stimuli. So it really helps me to be able to sort of craft my environment. And if I'm taking a call and I really need to focus, if I was in an office building with, you know, 50 people in the same room, I'd have such a hard time concentrating on what I was supposed to be doing. Whereas if I was enabled to have a small space that was just, you know, either quieter or away from distracting like people walking past, quite small changes like that would make a significant difference because my brain would be able to zone into what I was doing. So it's almost as though by actually having people who are neurodiverse, giving them a platform to create the strategies or influence the strategies or just help their organizations to understand it better would just be so much more efficient in making it, you know, actually work for people who are neurodiverse. That's really interesting. And I, I was sort of cast back to a time and I, I remember sort of a president, uh, one of the companies I worked for, and uh, and when we had sort of, uh, you know, calling days and outreach sales days, um, you know, there were a few people who would prefer to go to a, a room and make the calls there. Um, and it was very much frowned upon. But it's interesting to look at actually what are the reasons why people want to work in a room and, and actually really getting to know a person. It's not because they're not being sociable or they don't want to be tracked or monitored. It could be that they can't focus with so much noise around. So that's, that's really interesting. I think it brings me to my next question, which is, you know, having any form of something outside of the norm, uh, whether it be ADHD, autism, or, or any other condition, um, it's still often seen as a taboo in the workplace. It's uh, possibly perceived as a weakness. And from an individual perspective, it's something that typically people prefer to keep to themselves. So with that in mind, how do organizations and individuals go about changing that? Mm, that's such a good question. The taboo side of it is, I think that is our biggest challenge because even with the right frameworks and, you know, these, I hate the word accommodations. I think there's a lot of problems with the language that's used around this. For example, um, I know this is common in like university, they make accommodations if you need extra time in exams or if you're going to put on your CV or talk in an interview about being neurodiverse, you disclose this information, which I think there's a level there that the whole like lexicon around this could do with being really reevaluated. Um, with regards to the taboo, speaking from personal experience, it's helped me so much to 
go through the process of self-acceptance and I think that's a really big piece in this is if you don't understand your own experience your own differences but for me now where I sit especially because I've done so much work on the self-acceptance is I see the way my brain is wired has far more strengths than it does um, pitfalls to my career or things that I that would be considered challenges I've gotten to a point now where actually where I'm sat and the businesses being able to run businesses and do the things that I do are facilitated by my brain being so quick and so different so I think there's kind of two layers to this there's the individuals taboo or sort of societals you know the imprint that you've had because I was diagnosed at 25 so I'd lived 25 years of my life knowing I was different having challenges never really understanding you know like I can't put my finger on this but what's essentially in quotations wrong with me it's a long time to have that thought recurrent and actually I always thought you know it's a reflection of self-esteem I was misdiagnosed with anxiety and what that actually turned out to be was ADHD in women is often internalized what you find with women is that hyperactivity becomes racing thoughts which like that's almost the written example of what anxiety is known to be so what I went through was a whole journey of kind of misdiagnosis feeling like I'd never find this answer knowing my potential as well which was the most frustrating part was knowing you know how much I have to offer once I got my diagnosis one of the first things that did click with me which isn't the case for everyone I think a lot of people can fall into a depression or um have a real hard time with it because it's so weighted it was different for me it was like a huge weight off my chest and I went through a process of self-acceptance and massive amounts of education and what that's enabled me to do now is because I wholeheartedly accept it doesn't mean that there's not challenges but I can walk into any uh situation or for example when I first started to mesmerize from day one I disclosed my ADHD openly talked about it we actually are building products around neurodiverse brains now and I know that's because I've got this this kind of open door um approach to it so I think companies would massively benefit from enabling people to have that kind of ability to talk about these things without that taboo and that's it's such a big thing because that's on a societal level um but the more people talk about this, and this is why I was so excited to speak today, was the more of these conversations that I had without any kind of judgment or weight, even if it's just you open the opportunity for another person at, at the company to, to talk to you or to ask questions or to say, do you know what, I've been experiencing those things too, and that's happened to me before. So I think once that level is sort of starting to take shape, then companies can mirror that and they can try and remove as much stigma as they can by just approaching it as what is that that what is there a stigma about and I've never really understood that because what are we discriminating against or what is the taboo with neurodiversity because from my perspective it's what makes me me it's what makes me innovative like thinking outside the box and that's an incredible asset to most companies so it's almost like this paradigm shift. And once that happens, I can see how different the landscape could be. 
There's so, so many interesting things to, to sort of pick up on there, but I, I think that the one I'd like to start with is um, neurodiversity as a strength. And a lot of public figures have come out in, in recent years um, about their experiences of neurodiversity. And one example is Richard Branson, who has come out and said he has ADHD. He also has uh, dyslexia. Um, and obviously he is an uber successful entrepreneur and, you know, billionaire. Um, so what, uh, what are some of the key strengths that present itself with neurodiversity? Mm. I think that's an amazing point to make is, and this does link back to the last point, is the fact that we've got these incredible people, you know, coming out, if that's the right word, or feeling like they're finally comfortable talking about their differences that in itself demonstrates how we can start to change this. We can look at that and go, actually, if you do analyze the most, you know, the furthest end of the spectrum, people like Richard Branson, Elon Musk, like, again, they might be controversial, but you'd be amazed at how many celebrities, big figures, sports people have some kind of diversity because relating back to the question you just asked, it's those traits that make them able to be so successful. And what you find with something like ADHD is you're often extremely resilient because from a childhood, uh, from a very, very young age, you've known you're different. You've probably had to adapt to situations almost not knowingly. So and it must be the same in some ways for autism is there's a lot more kind of social issues with autism. So from a very, very young age, you've had to learn how to socialize. You've had to be resilient to the fact that it's not natural and it's not probably in your comfort zone. So they're learned behaviors. So the resilience side is one of the things that I see time and time again in, in uh, personal accounts in one of the greatest like kind of resources for this is like the Reddit forums. Cause it's the biggest sort of open, almost anonymous disclosure and discussion of these things. And the thing that comes up the most is how resilient you are. If you, if you are ADHD, because, um, often you fail more because you're kind of living in a world that's built by neurotypical people. The structures of the world are designed for neurotypical brains. And if you're neurodiverse, simple things can be really challenging. So you kind of get used to failure from a really young age. And I've found that's been incredibly beneficial in my own journey because setting up businesses, I set up a business two months before the pandemic and it was a case of you know you're going to have some, some serious grit and some resilience to pivot to think outside of the box you know no no one knew what to do when the pandemic hit to be a startup during that time the original business model for apex was incredibly different to what it is now because i kept hitting walls you know we were one of our main clients was going to be the premier league there was no football until really a couple of months ago so I had to consistently be able to analyze a problem, pick it apart, map it out in my mind and say, okay, where's the gateways here? Where can we move forward? And you find that kind of quick, very sort of diverse, agile thinking and, and that almost dynamic creativity that is a core feature of the way most neurodiverse people think because you're so used to having to problem solve constantly because your brain doesn't work in the way that education systems are designed or the way that office work is designed, you don't work that way. So I would say there's an incredible amount of 
assets to being neurodiverse, especially in enterprise, like the list is as long as my arm. But the slight problem to that is if you don't embrace or you don't have an environment that actively allows you to be yourself and you have to, you know, keep everything away from kind of anyone knowing or you are embarrassed or there's some kind of stigma, you might not you might not unlock those abilities. So that's what my hope for kind of these conversations and better resources and just changing this paradigm would be for people to be able to tap into all of those things that make you brilliant instead of you know I have to be a watered down version of myself which is what I experienced for a long long time. I love that tap into all of those things that make you brilliant and uh, what a a wonderful way to end uh, our interview today so um, Sarah thank you so much it's been so enlightening and uh, thank you very much for your, your passion on this topic as well I know lots of members of our community will hugely benefit from this uh, and resonate with it um, and and also to sort of continue the conversation I know that uh, the Women in Tech Forum you'll be writing some blogs and articles so uh, for those of you who want to continue the conversation um, do come along to our LinkedIn page at womenintechforum.com obviously connect with Sarah Steele at Mesmerize um, and, and we look forward to to really exploring this Uh, really important topic uh, in the future. So Sarah Steele, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much. Speak to you soon. Thank you.